So the reason we were so keen to look at neck strength, so it's thought that a strong contraction of the neck during a head impact will help stabilise your head and limit the shaking experienced by your brain. So to start training this, you kind of first have to teach people how to use the muscles of your neck. So I'm sure no one's ever been consciously aware of how their neck moves. Welcome to PhD Lounge, the podcast of late night interviews where PhD students have a drink and talk about their research topics. I'm your host Luis, and today is the return of late night interviews. And you've probably been waiting for another PhD student guest to come to the podcast and hearing about the facing challenges and thoughts while studying a PhD research topic. And I'm also very happy to have a new guest who is interested in sharing for all listeners of PhD Lounge after I had, or better, still having yet slightly loads and loads of work during this month and the next one. Before I announce today's guest, I want to say first of all that this month of March has been hectic for my academic productivity, as on a real post on the Instagram account of PhD Lounge I made regarding goals in the beginning of the month, I had to mark assignments for undergraduate students studying classics, since I'm a teaching assistant at Swansea University. The module is called Ovid's Metamorphosis, an interesting module where it's about the book Metamorphosis itself, written by a Roman poet Ovid, who created stories about love and lust for different personalities of Roman mythology, which can correspond to today's societal behaviors in each individual around both aspects. I'm not very familiar with Roman poetry, to be honest, since it's not my specialty. But I have to say that it has been interesting in learning a bit of the content and making a huge effort at the same time in understanding within the lyrical context what the poet meant while I was evaluating the assignments of the students. A pleasant experience which I hope to continue for the next academic year if I get the opportunity of teaching more than one module besides marking assessments only. And also, in April, it will be my probation phase. I thought it would be at the end of March, but my supervisor told me that the chair of teachers shall book me to a reunion to discuss my progress over these nine months. And fingers crossed to know if I'm capable of continuing my PhD. Besides the module and the probation, I also was ridiculously busy in preparing my first online Call for Papers conference ever, where I shared a portion of my research on a topic regarding the river Euphrates, which flows in the Middle East. That is, I presented this river in the context of being a facilitator for community engagement during the presence of the Greeks and the Romans in the Middle East, while they built colonial settlements, which later became huge cities. 
and to support my main argument, I presented to the audience a case study about Jura Europus, a city built in Syria that at the time was a city whose inhabitants were from different regions, such as Jews, Greeks, Romans, Parthians, Arabians, Syriacs, and so on. My first paper was given at the Malta Classics Association, and if you are interested in hearing the recorded session, pop in to their Facebook page and their YouTube channel, where my paper and others are available for anyone. And other news I want to share with you is that I'm going to London on the 25th and 26th of May to attend the podcast show 2022, a podcast festival at the Islington Business Design Center where professional and beginner podcasters, industry leaders, spokesmen and spokeswomen, publishers, award-winning creators and special guests join in at various talk shows about networking, monetization, branding, growing and engaging with your audience, marketing strategies, making your podcast as a career, success stories of podcasters and more in a space of two days. For me, it's a great opportunity to make PhD Launch visible and engaging while networking with other podcasters, hopefully, and telling as well that the podcast idea born from my current PhD studies. And there's also the chance of attending a live podcast episode during the night. But since it's a ticket I have to pay apart from what I'm really interested, I'm still thinking whether I should buy or not. And if you are around London, near Islington, and you are a podcaster or a listener, feel free to send me a message on my socials so that I can meet you and have a coffee. And I really thank you for your kindness if you are able to attend the event. You can check this information on its website, thepodcastshowlondon.com, where it runs from the 23rd until the 29th of May, with the 25th and 26th being dedicated to business and networking. Now enough talking about PhD life updates, and let's introduce today's guest. This PhD student is also based at Swansea University, and she is a first-year PhD student in Applied Sport, Technology, Exercise and Medicine, Research, Head Impact Characteristic in Romans Rugby through additions of neck strengthening work and interviews to understand players' concussion experiences. So grab your drinks, have a seat, and let's give a warm welcome to Freya Petria. Freya, thank you so much for accepting my invitation and welcome to the PhD Lounge podcast with such an interesting research topic connected to both sports and sports science. Freya, thank you so much for having me. So great to be able to talk more about rugby. Yes, indeed. (laughs) And as a note here for the listeners, I've met Freya at a postgraduate research talk where each the students from different fields present their research topics. And when you presented yours, I was fascinated and interested with what you showed to us. And it was from that talk that I wanted to invite you for an interview because for anyone who loves sports and its science, like yourself 
and myself as well, as well as who practice sports involving physical contact all the time, this may be important to any professional sports person or any player ascending to pro since we are currently living in a world where technology is attached to, or better yet, a necessity in our lives, and specifically in sports where it helps sports scientists and the players to know and understand how their bodies react to impacts and what tech resources and scientific methodologies can help to reduce them and even helping pros extending their careers in professional sports for more years. Is it something uh, that uh, pro players should be aware of or maybe players who are not or semi-pros? Yeah, so all levels um, from grassroots right the way up to elite players really need to be more aware of this and um, us as a research community need to get together and help transfer this knowledge to players. It's really, really important. Oh, so it must be covered at all costs. So basically, I, I mean, if I say in an exaggerating way, but uh, I agree on that too. Every sports player should be aware of uh, these issues and specifically when technology is on our side. But have you played rugby professionally or are you just playing as a, as a student and player at the same time? So I um, played rugby in my undergrad um, and had a fantastic time. Um, but unfortunately, I did get a few concussions and decided to switch sports to lacrosse at Swansea. So I can really understand the players' perspectives because it is, it is fantastic fun and you can understand why they don't want to stop. We just have to help them play more safely. Okay, so so that's why the... You were saying you were. We were talking about uh, challenges before before the interview. You wanted to talk about challenges. What challenges of the of concussions that you had to face or that led you to stay, not just say uh, inside the field, but outside the field, feel, feeling feeling like that you're playing at the same time, but by interviewing rugby players who also study, but others play professionally. What were those challenges in on by on your side? So for the first one, so my um, university rugby team, we had a coach and we were all great friends and all looked after each other, but we just didn't have the concussion knowledge to know that when our friends were concussed, we didn't know that they weren't okay. Um, so in rugby, there's this real culture of if you're injured and you're, if you can stand up and you can talk, you're okay. Um, but if you're concussed just because you can stand, really doesn't mean you're okay at all and um, we had no doctors or physios present so it was really hard to spot these concussions um, in fact I didn't know I'd had all of these concussions until I started my masters and I was like uh oh that must have and then knowing what a concussion was really helped me understand my symptoms um, and it's just so important to know that when you have been concussed and know how to look after yourself after a concussion um, and that really should reduce kind of the symptom severities and help people feel much better, much quicker. Oh my. Sounds like a quite a challenging adventure that you're, that you're still facing. But is a permanent lesion, a, 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 a permanent injury or can be temporary? So it can kind of be both. So there's a 
um, return to play program in rugby, and if I'm right, it's you have to not play for three weeks after your concussion. Mm. And for the vast majority of people, they will be symptom free by that time. But other people might have these symptoms for six months or even years. And it's really important that we give people realistic um, expectations of their recovery so that they're not wanting to be back on the pitch by week three but still not feeling okay. And there's a lot of research that finds that even a year after concussion, sleep patterns are changed, people are thinking slightly different, and your coordination's a bit different. And there are all these hidden symptoms that kind of lurk a long time after concussion that people should be aware of as well. So basically, what we can take from from it is just a rather more concern with mental health than just the physical activity itself. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely, totally. We need to know that uh, mental health and injuries to your head um, are slightly different bodily injuries, and that's really important when we are looking how to manage these injuries. Quite interesting. Since I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a specialist on it but, but yet it's quite interesting to know a bit more about what is beyond sports involving uh, physical contact and since we speak about rugby we can talk about as well from uh, American football or even football uh, where also contact is often made right? <laughs> yeah absolutely so At Swansea, we concentrate on rugby, but we're trying to work with people who are doing football, hockey, lacrosse, and kind of the whole research community works together. Hopefully, we'll get a solution a bit quicker. But it's it's great to have so many fantastic researchers in the field who are happy to share their ideas. It makes my job a lot easier. Yes, I can agree on that. <laughs> They're quite from the same genealogical tree, to say the least. So since you've played rugby before university, right? or just during university. How's that passion for rugby came? Is that has to do with your uh, academic background or came from a hobby? So my academic background doesn't really match my PhD. So mm. when I was 18, I loved animals, I loved biology. So I ended up doing a bioveterinary science degree at the Royal Vet College in London. Mm. Um, and then in my third year, I specialized in animal behavior and welfare. And this looked at things like um, how animals think, how the brain works, and all the techniques that sort of research in the brain. And then I finished my undergrad, had no idea what I wanted to do, um, and then saw a master's advertised online, and it was um, working with these instrumented mouthguards in rugby. And I thought that looks really cool. I like rugby, I like science involving the brain. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd get it, but I applied anyway, and I think my enthusiasm came across, and here I am, and I'm not less Swansea. So. That's quite brave from you, since saying that uh, having this uncertainty of what we should we do in the future, and just we just uh, browsing on the internet and searching for something that we that we also that we we, we may love, and you through rugby you found something that is quite interesting and. Uh, that's what happens to many of us. I can say also from from my from my experience. I had graduated in cultural heritage and, and archaeology, and honestly, I didn't know what to do with that course because uh, was more on the side of the cultural heritage than art history and archaeology itself. Until I got an opportunity to do a placement at an archaeological museum, 
where there was the exhibition of uh, Greek and Roman artifacts. And uh, from that placement, uh, my taste for classical studies started to, to gain, it started to increase. And here I am at Swansea University to, to study a, a studied a master's in classical culture and ancient history and doing more or less the same, but uh, from a, an archaeological context. And that is it. So I can see, I, I can, from what you've said, I can say, I can relate to it. And many of the students and probably someone who is listening may face this situation. So it's quite rare someone uh, to say, I want this and I will follow this. So now turning to the, to the research, why women's rugby? What's so special in, in, in women's rugby than men's rugby? So um, the number of women playing rugby now is increasing really rapidly. So we've got over 3 million players currently registered and this is kind of increasing year on year. But there are so many differences between men and women or males and females that we can't really use any of our old research that only looked at men. So we really have to focus on kind of women-specific research to address those key problems. But also rugby players expose themselves to head impacts that can be recorded in real time. So other areas um, such as intimate partner violence or perhaps, perhaps vehicle collisions, you just can't get those head impacts recorded and you can't understand how they happen. So it's really important that we use rugby as a vehicle to investigate these other areas. So that's why we choose women's rugby and I hope you think they're good reason. Mm. Yes, indeed, yes. Uh, and should be, and, and back again to that, to that uh, question that I've made about the challenges and, and rugby athletes and being informed about it, should women be informed as well? Just not be a bit rude? But saying in a realistic way, as you as you said previously, that we have, we te- we must do, say realistic goals to not demoralizing athletes. So, what's your opinion if on if women also should be informed on of those situations in regards to head impacts and concussions? Yeah, so there's there is evidence that multiple concussions and multiple head impacts can cause neurodegeneration or. Um, sort of problems with your brain later in life but that evidence isn't causative so we can't be 100% sure that it is the head impact so it's really hard to give evidence-based advice when there there isn't always evidence there but there's enough of a link that we should be informing players so currently the education around concussion is improving but it's still not 100% particularly in the women's side but all players should know how to spot a concussion how to look after their friends what sort of things to expect during recovery. And if the whole team knows this, they're able to support a friend who, perhaps when they're concussed, they're not capable of making good decisions or they can pull a player off the field to look after them. So it's really, really important that this education gets improved within the sport. Mm, Interesting, because from the fact that I was reading some information in some articles that it is incredible, the increasement of uh, women playing rugby and it is quite brave and it increased significantly, as you said, three million, it's, it's a lot. However, the, the issue with the head impacts and concussions is the downside of it, as the more players play, more issues of concussions and head impacts also occur. 
so we can we can say from from there that mental health matters and they should be informed as you say so should be included any training from the mental health side or just to prepare them for what can happen unexpectedly as head impacts and concussions yeah, so at the elite level um you'll often find players at the start of every season have a concussion education session and they're not allowed to play any matches until that's been signed off but at the grassroots level of women's rugby they might only have a coach for two hours and he's there to coach rugby not to teach about concussion so you kind of at lower levels of the women's sport you don't really have anyone to teach you about concussion and if you think about rugby psychologically you don't want to go onto a pitch um, having researched all the injuries that you might get because I think that would really put you off the game mm. so I think it's really about giving women concussion resources or having people to come in and teach them I just don't think we can expect players to google it on their own you see what I mean I see so it would be something like uh, like a lecture or something something like that and helping them to understand what concussion could be and how it affects women players uh, in general, right? Have you tried to do it? Uh, have your team in Swansea, in Swansea University tried to do such a thing? So we've tried, but it's really difficult. So um, I'm not a medic. I, I'm just doing my PhD and it's, mm. it's not really my place or I do, you'd almost want a doctor there to do it or a physiotherapist who is properly qualified. And it's just really hard um, accessing those resources. So we did do concussion baseline testing at the start of the season for our women's players. And we spoke to them informally, but we've not been able to give them that formal education, unfortunately. Perhaps it's due to budgeting or maybe... Yeah, that's it. Is, it, is, it, is COVID also related to it or to, those, to, this, to this issue? not sure so covid we've all got used to using zoom and maybe it'd be easier for players to kind of sit in front of a computer and then travel to a club but to my knowledge i'm not sure how that's been used out in the field yet I see it is te it is uh tempting to it's a, not tempting just it's it's a great incentive from from you from your supervisors to try to inform players uh, female players but unfortunately budgeting and also I don't know, I boldly say the will, perhaps, of medical workers to help in that certain extent? Most physiotherapists we've spoken to and doctors do really, really care, but they just they don't have the time. They're so stretched and, say, for the women's game, it might be a student physiotherapist who covers the game, and they just volunteer their time. And that's a lot better than having no one there. But, yeah, they do their best, but because they're not paid that well, they really struggle. Okay, so it's it's budgeting issues, and that's all. That's the main thing, yeah. Despite the willing, as I, say, I think it's the same is the same issue in many areas. We want to do something, but they say no. There's no budgeting for this. Uh, there's no budgeting for this, and then it's quite demoralizing. One of your supervisors, maybe, or maybe your your team you're working into, have felt that as that demoralizing issue. Have you also felt? demoralized in trying to have that such incentive to move forward? Yeah, so a lot of my friends are rugby players and the people I speak to in my research, lots of them have had concussions and you hear their individual stories and you think, oh, if, 
if they'd had a physiotherapist there to help them, would they have had symptoms that long? Would they have struggled so much during their recovery? Would they have got concussed in the first place if they'd been trained more or they'd understood tackle techniques? So it, it really is a huge motivator because in a way, some of these concussions are avoidable, but they're not being avoid, avoided currently. Mm. Avoidable, interesting. They are avoidable because of the head impacts since they can't avoid at all since it's a contact, right? Yeah, so there will always be some in rugby, um, but there's so many more head impacts in women's rugby that we've seen in our research compared to men's. Mm. And a lot of it we think is to do with neck strength and um, the training of how they're taught to tackle each other. And we think if those things are improved, hopefully we should see head impacts reduced. Hopefully, I say. Not done the research yet, but there will be plenty of time for, for, for more research and more updates. <laughs> Hello, students and graduates. Hope that you are enjoying this session so far. I just want to make a quick stop to say to you that if you like the content I bring about PhD studies and the late night interviews with PhD students and want to support PhD Lounge, you can do so through one-time donations at Podfan and buy me a coffee, where you can decide the amount you think PhD Lounge podcast deserves. Any grateful amount will help to increase the outreach quality of the podcast and engage with more PhD students who are interested in giving their voice and sharing their projects with anyone who wishes to study a PhD. To donate, visit pod.fan forward slash PhD Lounge hyphen podcast and buymeacoffee.com forward slash PhD Lounge. Gratitude for your time, and let's carry on with the session. I've read some articles and speaking about the head impacts that affects the, the brain. I've read some, some, uh, I've read a few articles that obviously it's increasing its popularity as we we've, we've stressed about, and also the the the, con the issue with concussions. And we are talking about some about concussions with, uh, without you saying what a concussion really is. So could you briefly tell to the listeners what a concussion is? Yeah, sure. So there are actually hundreds of definitions of concussion, which doesn't help anyone. But kind of the general consensus that is it's a form of mild traumatic brain injury. Mm. So it's caused by either a blow to the head or a blow to the body that causes your brain to shake inside your skull. And as your brain shakes, it will kind of twist and pull all the, kind of pull apart and cause microscopic cellular damage. But it will also crash into the inside of your skull cavity. So that's the two main causes of damage. And we get symptoms like the classic dizziness, um, memory, memory problems or balance issues. And these symptoms can start sort of instantly and last for just a few minutes, or they may start maybe hours or days after you have been hit. When did you have your your uh, concussion? Um, so I had a few whilst I was playing rugby in my undergrad, and then I had one six months ago playing lacrosse. And then uh, what symptoms did you have? How did you feel? Um kind of very hungover but without drinking kind of the room was spinning had trouble balancing um looking at screens is a big one and um, kind of screen time really exacerbates symptoms and headache dizziness and all the classics really oh my 
So was it instantly or did you feel it a few weeks after? It kind of, for the first five minutes, I was kind of initially stunned. And then in a few hours afterwards, I started feeling a bit worse. And that's when the majority of the symptoms set in. Okay, so it's, can, we can say that it's quite dangerous because we, we, we don't know what, uh, when to expect it after, after a head impact, right? Yeah, absolutely. So a person could appear fine and you, you send them home. Um, but actually, they get home and they're not fine. So it's really important you don't leave anyone you think is concussed on their own. I can see. And speaking on to that, speaking on your experience and also what you said about concussions, is there a specific region of the female brain that is more affected by impacts? Or is, is it the brain in general? Um, I think it would be more the brain in general. So the female brain, the brain cells are supported by fewer and smaller microtubules. And these are the, the sort of internal scaffolding that holds our brain cells up. So, and the internal scaffolding in a men, male's brain is kind of much more stable. So women will always have that biological vulnerability. Um, in terms of parts of the brain, I don't know. I think it could be feasible. There are so many differences between the male and female brain that mm. I've not managed to hear of them yet. But will be something that you will explore to a later extent, or are you just a general issue of the of the of the brain of the female brain? Yeah, so we've noticed female-specific head impact mechanisms, but in terms of the internal biology of the brain, um, that's not really my area. Um, I think other people do a much better job of that, so I'm just focusing on the head impact side of things. Okay, oh, interesting. So the specific brain will leave for the for the more for more specialists, and uh, I know it was quite quite a bold question, but clearly you've answered at your best knowledge, and uh, that is great. And to help with concussions, you've mentioned in your research that you are researching neck strengthening exercises, which can help studying better the head impacts and concussions in women's rugby and potentially reducing their high rate. So could you tell me what those exercises consist of? How are they done correctly? And if are there any results that show some improvements in reducing concussions? Have you done some field work in that matter? Yeah, so we did some in our pre-COVID season. Then this October, we started all of our research back up and we've got the girls' teams doing it again. So the reason we were so keen to look at neck strength, so it's thought that a strong contraction of the neck during a head impact will help stabilize your head and limit the shaking experience by your brain. So to start training this, you kind of first have to teach people how to use the muscles of your neck. So I'm sure no one's ever being consciously aware of how their neck moves. But to get them to do this, we tell them to tuck their chin to their chest and give themselves as many kind of double chins as they can. Um, and this kind of activates the deep neck flexor muscles and that their role is to stabilize the head. So these are the ones we want to target. So some of the exercises include um, getting the players to lie on the floor doing this chin tuck, and then they'll lift their head off the floor and then hold that for a few seconds. And then they do that again, lying on their front, on this, on each side. Um, as the players get stronger, we add resistance bands. So we get one friend to hold it and we do the same sort of pulling away from the band and holding that for a few seconds and then relaxing. So 
we just collected our mid-season data that's it's not yet analysed um, and we'll continue this through to the end of the season and hopefully they'll all improve. Interesting. Is there any, any specific weight that a woman rugby player should lift to avoid any neck injuries? Yeah, so there might be a relative strength that's required. You're never going to be able to eliminate the, them completely, but there's probably a value of strength per kilogram of body weight that might give you kind of a vague idea. Um, so there's research, um, I think from America, that a 0.45 kilogram increase in neck strength can reduce concussion risk by 5%. Um, and in elite men's rugby, I think it's a 10% increase in neck extension strength. So that's um, pushing the neck back, um, decreases concussion risk by 13%. So there's evidence behind it, but just not really in the women's game yet. But there are, are there any any results of those next strengthening exercises? Um, so we haven't processed our data from our women's team yet. We've just been mm. so busy. Um, but visually, they're looking a lot better, and they're they're managing to do the progressions on the exercises, so holding them longer and using um, stronger bands. So I would expect them to be a bit stronger. So that is a, a still a long term process that you you are still researching, right? Yeah, like I think it will take a few more seasons. Few, like, yeah, you really do need to build that strength up really slowly as well. I remember you telling me that you 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 would go to England to surveying a, a, a rugby match. Was it on that context of next strengthening exercises of the head impacts and all of that? Um, so the travelling to rugby matches is for our instrumental mouth guard system. Mm. So all of the players on our team have a mouth guard with acceleration sensors that can tell when the player's got a head impact um, as they're playing rugby. In the future, we hope to match this head impact data with the next strength data. Um, but we just need lots more data before we can do that. So mm. we'll have to update you in a year or two's time. And then when, when would be published the reports? Any idea in which journal website would be published? Or is it will be something just staying there uh, on your thesis and it's not published? Yeah, so I'd love to publish it. I'm just not sure where. And we're still uh, not sure how to process the data. So the more we know, the more complicated it gets. So, yeah, it'll be a while yet. Well, it sounds quite a weird question to, to ask, but uh, just to know if you knew, knew, would know something. Uh, but uh, I also have, have have this feeling when I'm researching my uh, my PhD of when I want to, to do this investigation and if we'll have any results but since it's quite different and goes goes far far in time so it's quite uncertain as well those publications uh, of me doing a research where it might be right but then would be something that is more arguably and leads to wider discussions so if that would be also affecting the same this uh, on on your field as well when investigate investigation these issues uh, i don't know what you what your your thoughts on it yeah so the mouth guard system we use is all built on males but we don't know if the head center of mass is difficult for females so we can't process our data until we've looked at head center of mass and that gets more and more complicated the more um me and David, my supervisor, another PhD student. The more we look into it, the more complicated it is and the more reading we have to do. So that's our current hurdle before we can process our data. 
okay so we, again it is the the long-term process of yeah. investigation and since we were talking about Mothguards, I've checked a video from BBC filmed at Swansea Uni where the Mothguards, they register head impacts as well, right? Yeah, so they're really cool. So they'll tell us when our players have a head impact on the field. And then the ones we use, use Bluetooth. So they'll transmit that wirelessly. And within 10 seconds of that player having an impact, um, I'll have a couple of numbers off of my iPad all ready to go, which is just fantastic. Like we worked there a few years ago and it, my supervisor was involved in developing these mouthguards and it's so cool to have a system that's so easy to use and I really think it's going to change research. So it would be something, a revolution in sports science? Yeah, well, I think so. There was a player that I saw on the video and that player was reporting her experience in using the mouthguard. Was that player a case study for the new mouthguard system? So we analyse the data per individual player and then kind of put it all together to see kind of the general trends. Um, but we do end up getting players that do have diagnosed concussions. Um, and we hope that in the future we can kind of do some closer research on these players. And if they're happy, um, we'd love it if they kept talking to us about their recovery, um, about their experiences, because it's... It's not just a problem of biomechanics, there's a huge um, social issue around women accessing doctors and physios and being supported through their recovery. So yeah, it'd be fantastic to do more case studies in the future. I don't know if you, since you said you are, you said you are in, uh, in your first year, but have you done any interviews with some of the, some of the players so far? Not yet, so I'm planning to do that this summer and I'm planning to get my ethics application in tomorrow. Um, yeah, so we want to interview both men and women to see how their experiences differ. So why do they play rugby? How did they join? What age did they join? What are their injury experiences? Um, what resources can they access? What are their facilities like? Mm. Um, and we hope that we'll be able to understand both men and women, women's rugby players better, so that when we do try and help them recover or try and limit the number of concussions they experience, we can target these attempts to make sure that they are accessible to men and women from elite to grassroots levels of the sport. You just, you will focusing only on the elite side? Um, so the next year we've got a university team, a club level team and a professional team. So we can just kind of get that spread across all the levels and see what's available to each type of player. Will the Mothguard technology be included for the interviews or not? Um, for some players they will. So a lot of players really like the Mothguard, the neck strength. Um, mm. Some might not be comfortable doing the interviews and that's okay, but they're more than welcome to do it all. And it would be great if they wanted to as well. Interesting. I look forward to hear more when the reports shall be published in some of the sports sciences page. I'm really looking forward to and I was talking about on interviews, I was questioning about that one since you haven't interviewed any player, but just supposedly imagining that you would interview, what challenges would you expect that a female player and also the male ones would say something about head impacts and concussions? Can you imagine on something that what would they say in regards to, to your questions? Yeah, so I don't want to kind of bias my findings by guessing answers, but 
kind of anecdotally and having had people speak to me the actual kind of recovery time comes as a shock and it can be really lonely so you're supposed to do cognitive and physical rest and cognitive rest kind of you don't want to be looking at screens and you can find talking to people really tiring so you end up being quite isolated quite bored and often for rugby players it's not just a sport that's where all of their friends are they'll meet their friends after a match to go to the pub and it's a huge huge social thing and if you're not involved in that you lose all of those social contacts and social interaction and I think kind of just not expecting how long it takes to recover so expecting to be fine by week three but you're not fine by three months is really shocking that's kind of the sort of thing I'm expecting so the issue within head impacts and concussions then arouses the problem of communication and team support right yeah like I a lot of teams want to support but they don't know how best to support mm. and there's kind of quite a conflict between doing what your injured teammate wants versus doing what your injured teammate needs and it's hard for both of those parties to understand it and that's kind of where I think the education comes in like how can we support our injured friends um, and make the experience a little better for them so that's why stressing about mental health training and preparing these players to uh, what's coming unexpectedly not just the rugby itself as we've discussed throughout this interview yeah absolutely I think for other sports as well like in, in hockey concussions might not happen as often but they tend to be quite severe concussions and um, to my knowledge anyway so they yeah so you need to be prepared for when it does happen have you tried or is there any attempt to investigate further this this issue on youth teams um, i'm not too sure so the majority of rugby research is done in adult populations because um, there are lots of ethical issues when working with children i'd hope that in children's rugby you do have a coach there at least and I'm pretty sure that all coaches who qualify now have to have concussion training um, so I'd expect kind of the coaches to be there to look after children and their parents as well perhaps there's a bigger issue at university where the coaches are there for an hour or two a week the players are technically adults so they're supposed to look after themselves but you don't have your mum at the side of the pitch telling you to come off or driving you to hospital against your will so it's yeah I think kind of the late teenage or the university age might be that's kind of the age I'd be most concerned with well it's, it's as we can say first the adults that comes with come the children come second uh, but I think would be not saying children come first adult come second or vice versa I think a mixture would be something more so, uh, uh, would be rather the, the solution I, I get I, I think because uh, we, the behavior of the of the brain from each individual is different, and even there's a larger differential proportion between uh, head in, adult head impacts and then then children head impacts. But I guess something that study could be also very interesting to go further uh, for uh, another long-term time for children, of course. So children kind of come off worse from concussions because their brains are still developing. Mm. But actually, the injury risk in children's rugby is a lot lower than in adult rugby. So kind of when players get to around 16 and through puberty, they put on lots of muscle mass and get stronger, more powerful. That's really when you see the injury risk really elevate. But if you could train children from a young age how to play contact sport more safely, perhaps that would 
kind of translate into playing more safely in adulthood also. Seems reasonable. Since children, in terms of rugby, they are more vulnerable to have injuries. As I can say also, making a contrast to football, I remember seeing some news that children are forbidden for making headings because of the development of their brain. And that can lead also to several brain injuries, concussions as well. And then I think on that side was pretty bold. Uh, not pre not saying pretty bold was a, a good intervention in that aspect. So I don't want to say that, oh, they should forbidden, forbid that in rugby, but it's impossible. Otherwise, it wouldn't be rugby to say on, on that aspect. But just to make that contrast and the children should be aware on that, on that aspect. Anymore. Yeah, really difficult decision to make, isn't it? Like, we just don't have all the facts and, yeah, impossible decision really, isn't it? Yes, yes, indeed. And uh, now that we are approaching to the end of our interview, I would like to ask you, what are your thoughts on studying a PhD and particularly studying this topic, which is very interesting? Yeah, so I will say that it's hard and because I'm recording rugby data, I'm out in the evenings following teams about um, standards of rain and in the cold. But equally, I think being outside suits me. I get to work on something I really, really care about. And when I get feedback from players who can relate to my research, it really does motivate me. And it, I think as long as you're doing something you care about, it will be okay. And yes. Just, if you want to work in rugby, get used to getting wet, particularly in Swansea. So it would be investigation in real time, not staying inside of your home, and then you have to do lots of field work from what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, listeners, if you are students, you have Freya as an example. If you want to follow her research and also study this research, you have to go outside very often. If you come into Swansea University, you have to do maybe at another university perhaps if you are based in the UK or want to come to the UK you have this and speaking about of your thoughts what do you recommend for undergraduate undergraduates and masters if they want to study for a PhD whichever the field they want to study this one included <laughs> yeah um, just get involved in everything you can like I was a volunteer at London Zoo for a bit and that taught me video analysis skills and working with people and setting up kind of mini studies and I, I used that in my interview to try and get my master's and I think without that experience I wouldn't have got it but perhaps just approaching supervisors. I know for our team recording I'd gladly have anyone who's interested come and help me record matches and um, it improves my data collection but also I really enjoy showing people our research and I think you'll find the vast majority of supervisors or PhD students would be really keen to share their research. So yeah, just approach them and I'm sure they'll find some opportunities for you. And that's what about PhD is, is just not sitting on a desk and just writing the thesis. It's also about other aspects around PhD that can allow you to move to the outside, uh, doing some field work, external research, preparing for conferences. As I told in the beginning that I, I was busy in preparing a conference that involved a bit of outside research, which was personally for me was very pleasant because it was my first and also 
for the students. I think they should know about PhD. That is not just writing the thesis. It's other things that involve, like doing a podcast, for example. I had my first guest has an occasional podcast about well-being, and she was very kind to share her research. And now you here sitting sitting with me sharing your research. This is what we need as PhD students, and to transmit this to undergraduates and masters who think that PhD is all about hard work and just sitting here and writing. No, it's not like that. <laughs> and uh, to finalize, last question: uh, to know more about your uh, research, where students can follow you, any social medias or any scientific journals where your name is mentioned yeah so i've just started using twitter i'm not very good but um it's just at freya petri and i'm gonna try and post more up-to-date stuff on there um in terms of papers i'm second author on one um i'm sure we can pop a link somewhere um, i think it's sex differences in head acceleration in rugby union um and hopefully i'll have more stuff to talk about very soon Indeed, and I look forward to hear more from you, uh, from your research, which again, is very interesting for someone who likes sports and sports sciences and technology and helping and knowing about head impact concussions in, in rugby, specifically on female players, is interesting. And, that, and it's quite positive to know that you are very keen in, in doing this research and you love to share. And I want to thank you for coming and that here we end up the, the questions. And I really appreciate you for coming up to the interview. Thank you very much, Freya. Thank you so much for having me too. It's been great. No problem. So, listeners, this was the return of the PhD Lounge late night interview session with an interesting and fantastic topic from Freya about head concussions in women's rugby and their experiences, as well as how neck strengthening works can help any sports scientist to understand better this ongoing research, which apparently there are still high rates of concussions from head impact, but won't affect our fantastic female athletes of practicing rugby as one of the fastest popular sports for women. I'm grateful for having Freya on the podcast as she's my first guest of 2022. And I also thank you for having the time to listen to this session. And I hope it was informative for any of you who might be interested in studying sports science, this research in particular. This interview shall be launched soon in your preferred podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, and so on. And while you're waiting, you can have a look at phdlounge-podcast.com where you can check and feel free to follow my socials. Facebook at phdpodlaunch, Instagram at phdlmf, and Twitter at phdlaunchcast. You can also check my Linktree page by typing linktree.ee forward slash phdlaunchpodcast where you can find my Discord besides my socials. And if you are a PhD student and you'd like to share your research, feel free to send me an email luigi.phdlaunch at gmail.com or drop me a review for the podcast algorithm. Thank you all for tuning in. It has been a pleasure. <laughs>